Welcome to The Gathering Podcast, episode number 17. Uh, I want to start by saying thank you so much to all of our listeners from wherever you're listening from. We're grateful for you. And we just, uh, we celebrate and applaud you for listening. It's been 17 weeks. Wow. That is wild to me. And um, I'm really excited about the future of this podcast. What do you think, Alex? You think we're doing something significant, impactful? What do you think? As I was on the site this week, I was looking at all of the folks who are listening every week. And we have yeah. viewers in Nigeria, in the UK. Wow. Wow. All over the United States, Florida, Michigan, California. So cool. And it's funny because the gathering, for the most part, started as a, as a local youth oh, and young totally. adult ministry. Totally. Plymouth, sure Massachusetts. Jet, relatively small reach at first, but now through the pandemic, through yeah. stepping into this new area of podcast, now we're reaching right. global, and it, right. that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually didn't know that know those things, so that's good to hear. Um, well, listen, last week we wrapped up the Hello, My Name is Revival series, the podcast series. That was a super fun uh, series that Alex and I did, just kind of um, unpacking revival lifestyle. What does that look like? We talked about prayer, why we pray big. Second week, we talked about uh, daily Bible reading. And we did a bonus episode too. Uh, if you're just catching this now, go back to um, how to read the Bible because we, we break down you know, steps that you can take and apply to your life as you read scripture. Third, we talked about fasting. And then lastly, uh, last week, we talked about um, worship. So um, that was awesome. That was an exciting series. And we're about to uh, start a new series next week. So we wanted to kind of take a, a, a week off to just um, recap, you could say, um, the Revival series and to just kind of break down, this is what revival in history actually looked like. And so we're going to talk about uh, revival history. We're going to go to the Azusa Street Revival and uh, the, the revival in the Hebrides and in Scotland and, and then even the Welsh Revival. So we're not going to like exhaustively break them down. But what we want to do is take a look at four different patterns we noticed and observed as we studied these revivals. There was four distinct um, patterns that we see in almost every revival. You will see these things, these principles, these patterns in each revival, no matter which, which one you're studying. And so yeah. we want to get right into it. Um, first of all, the, the, first, the first pattern we want to talk about is conviction of sin. We see conviction of sin in every revival that you that we've that we've studied. That I I have actually been I've been studying revivals, yeah, just because I'm so fascinated by them, for like, uh, probably two years now, two years. And some of my friends think I'm like a history buff. I'm totally not a historian. I'm so, I'm a horrible historian. I I have a horrible hard, extremely hard time remembering like. Uh, names of places and dates and stuff like that. I feel like you you might be good at that. I in, in high school and college, I loved history. Yeah, loved it. I was I was good at memorizing dates and events and and times. Yeah. And I think that's why you know I thrive in teaching. One of my yeah. gifts is you yeah. know I can do well to memorize you know events and times and scriptures and yeah. you know cross connect and cross reference things. Yeah, it's just one of my yeah. giftings. Yeah, so it's funny, like, I, I'm so not, I don't, I don't have like a, you know, I don't think I have a super great memory, but I'm, I'm just simply fascinated by revival. Yeah. And by the thought, it, it just provokes something in me to believe God again. And right. so, in fact, um, just, a, just a really brief testimony, 
Um, man, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like when COVID came, it kind of brought about like the this like cloud above you and spiritual numbness and apathy and complacency and all that stuff kind of crept in to a lot of well-meaning Christians. And I feel like I, I wasn't necessarily apathetic. I felt like for a while, though, for a couple months, I was probably really discouraged and and just didn't have that like uh, audacity to to like believe and trust and have big faith. I don't know if you've you felt like that at all throughout this this quarantine, but um, but man, uh, last week, last Tuesday, I was praying in my office and I just felt this um, this faith come back into me to believe again for revival mm-hmm. and to contend for it, to pray for it, to fight for it, to get others ready for it, and so. Um, I don't want to come off like a revival hype man right now, <laughs> but I I sincerely and genuine sincerely and genuinely believe that that we can and will experience a a third great awakening that we can experience a powerful sweeping move of God in our country. In fact, I almost felt like God pushed me up against a wall. It was like Caleb, this is where like this is the play I'm calling is pray for revival, pray for a spiritual awakening. Politics aren't going to solve this problem. The, who you vote for is not going to solve the, the country's issues. But right. Jesus Christ himself revealed to the church and to the country and souls saved. And, and if someone's heart can change, that can bring about real change. When God's presence and power is made manifest in the world, wow. that can bring about change. And so I just, I just really feel like my mission right now, my mandate from heaven right now is to um, get my heart ready for revival and get others ready for sure. revival. And so that's kind of why we've had this focus on it. Um, but I'm really excited to dive into this. Uh, the first one, like I said, is conviction of sin. Um, Alex, I know you wanted to talk about a little bit about secularism and stuff. Sure. So go ahead. So one thing that, you know, we think about revival, and we always think about these massive awakenings, uh, renewals that spread across regions and nations. Think about, you know, the the awakenings in the 18th and 19th centuries with, you know, Edwards and, and, and Charles Finney. And, and then you have, you know, the revivals, uh, you know, across the ocean and, you know, Wesley and and Whitfield that are happening in, in, in the, in the UK. But sometimes the most important thing to, to remember is that there, in order for there to be corporate revival, there needs to be individual revival in order for there to be widespread revival on a large scale that disrupts cultures and disrupts institutions and disrupts systems, it needs to start at the individual level. And that's where the Holy Spirit begins is in our individual hearts. So with the the thought that, oh, revivals just happen. Well, they do in some instances. We're going to talk about that. But it happens when individuals who make up the greater church have individual revivals in themselves. And Part of what happens when you have an individual revival or an individual renewal or individual awakening, a lot of these terms are interchanged, is that first you have to come to the end of yourself. Maybe there's a crisis in your life where you're reaching a stage where you realize, I can't do this on my own. I'm exhausted. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. Maybe you've lost a job, a relationship, a family member, and you've got to the end. And oftentimes that is where people will step into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And that's where awakening happens, where they yeah. encounter Jesus. But that expands even on the larger level. And I think we're seeing that even today. But whenever there's been a revival, an awakening in a region, mm-hmm. it's always where social systems, 
political systems, governmental systems have begun to fail. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that right now. We're in an era of post-Christian secularism. And what we mean by that is that we're in an age where humanism is promoted, where, you know, Bible teaching has been removed from our public school system. Um, our government buildings, they're, they're taking down the Ten Commandments because we're in a movement of, of secularism. But what we're seeing as an institution, as a system, as a society, as it's beginning to fall apart at the seams, people are anxious. People have this low-grade exhaustion, especially from millennials. My, my group, we're exhausted. We're tired. We're fatigued. We're pressing on, and we're yeah. not getting yeah. any growth family breakdown. We're seeing mm-hmm. that there is just an identity crisis. There's an addiction to social media because people are trying to find through achievement of what they're yeah. getting. But yeah. here's the thing is even we're seeing it with the racial divide. There is just a tension yeah, right. that is coming out of this failed system of secularism. Totally. And this yeah. is the prime apex, the prime season for revival mm-hmm. is we've gotten to the yeah. end of our human power We've gotten to the end of our human creation and people are seeking more. Yeah, that's so good. There is a, I mean, we're living in a time of, of moral and theological decline mm. and decay. Right. I mean, uh, what, a, what a good point. I wanted to reference something. Yeah, we're living in a time of of moral and theological theological decline in our generation. I mean, and that, that's what secular secularism is is providing. But think about this: fourteen million millennials are estimated to leave or walk away from their faith this year. Fourteen million millennials are estimated to leave or walk away from their Christian faith this year alone. Uh, this report was done by a Christian research organization, and here's what they titled it. I love the title; like these are my people. They titled it The Great Opportunity. The Great Opportunity because it's like, listen, we're about to lose a generation unless we do something about it. Right. 14 million millennials, you know, estimated to leave their faith. Let's do something. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. Think about this. People are leaving their faith, but also more churches will close this year than open. It's just a a statistic. It's a fact. Um, over 862,000 abortions were done in t- 2017 alone. Wow. I don't even know the recent statistics. 70% of men and about 30% of women, Christian and non-Christian, are addicted to pornography, meaning they w- or, or watch pornography regularly, meaning they watch it at least once a month. Sure. Wow. And then think about the amount of sexual confusion and, and gender dysphoria and all these things are, that are so pervasive in our culture right now, it, it can be discouraging. It can be like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is a dark era. This is a, this is a, a moment of um, decline and decay sure. in our culture, in our society. But I love the title of that report that that Christian organization gave that stat about 14 million people possibly leaving their faith this year. I love that title. This is the great opportunity, the great opportunity. See, as, as believers in Jesus, we choose to believe that God is going to move significantly and at its, God is going to provide a divine turnaround at the most hopeless and darkest times. Right. And hey, I think we're there. So we're ready. I think America is, is in prime time 
for revival. Can you say amen? We've, we've tried enough. You know, they call it progressivism, but that's to remove remove God from the picture, remove God from our schools, remove God from yeah. our, our government structures, right. remove God from our dialogue, our institutions, mm-hmm. for, the, for the sake right. of, of, of pluralism. But here's the thing. And Mark Sayer, who's a social commentator, he's a pastor yeah. in, in Melbourne, Australia, he'll say this, that secularism is simply progress without the presence. And if you think about that, it's trying to be ahead of the curve, it's trying to advance society without the presence of God, and we're seeing it's failing, it's coming to, uh, it's it, it's falling apart at the seams as we do, but it's we're primed for revival for that reason. Yeah, that's so true. We're primed. This is prime time. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think, you know, there, there's a psychological term called crystallization of discontent, and... Um, it's an AP word right there. Yeah, <laughs> totally not in my uh, vocabulary. But, um, the the crystallization of discontent. It's a psychological uh, term, which simply means um, you have been discontented enough where you will finally make change. Yeah. So it's not like I think I think for a while Christians have been like discontent and busy, discontent, but like you know distracted, discontent, and then you know, but I'm gonna take care of business and just kind of push through. I think we must come to that place of crystallization of discontent, meaning we are discontented enough, we've had enough, enough is enough, we're done. Right. We must see change. Wow. I think we have to come collectively to the crystallization of discontent in our culture and say something must, hello, (laughs) something must change. Right. Something must break. And that is what I feel in my spirit right now, that what we need to pray for is because of these things that we mentioned that are dark, eerie, cultural issues, that we have, are discontent enough to say we will stand in the gap and intercede and contend for a spiritual renewal, a spiritual awakening, a revival. And so the first thing that marks this is conviction of sin. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about the revival in the Hebrides, which is in uh, North North Scotland, and a rural area in North Scotland. Um, there was a man that was invited as a preacher to come and preach at, the, at one of their revival events. And so he gets to the event, and he's supposed to speak for 10 days, um, 10 times, 10 days. And so he gets to the church, and after a long day of travel, he's looking forward to some, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, some dinner in, in his bed. He's tired, but they're like, "Hey, can you just preach like the first night? Can you preach tonight at the church?" And so he gets there. He says, "Of course." So he gets there to preach, and he stands and and he's he's at the pulpit and he's communicating his word. He's preaching it as best as he knows how, and nothing's really happening. Nothing. There's no like big breakthrough in the right. room. Um, you know, you can't really sense like God's presence or anything like that. Uh, but these people were so hungry for a move of God. This was in 1949. And so he gets down from his platform. And as he's walking out, this guy stands to his feet in the audience. He starts weeping and wailing and repenting of his sin publicly, confessing and repenting his sin. He falls over to the ground because he's so overtaken by emotion that he falls to the ground. And right when he does that, all hundreds of people in the room do the exact same thing. The Holy Spirit came rushing into that place, heaven broken in that room, 
and there was this mass conviction of sin. I mean, these people began to feel the weight of sin. Duncan Campbell, who was the preacher that was invited to preach, he 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 uh, tells a story of this woman who was by the pulpit who fell to her face and just started saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there was just this overwhelming um, conviction that swept over them right. that, oh, my goodness, I feel the weight of sin. And I, this, is, this marks every revival. Every revival has this moment where people are repenting on a mass scale. And so I think as we apply this to our lives, it's like, what are the areas in my heart? Like, like what David mm. said, like, search right. me, oh God. What are the areas in my heart that I need to repent of, confess, get right before you? And, um, and, and, and I've been praying, God, convict me of sin. Convict me of sin that I might not know about. Convict me of sin in my heart. Convict, convict me of my own sin. And um, wow. this is something I think I believe is it's essential to revival. And so right. that marked the start of this huge, massive revival in the Hebrides, so much though at the same time. Okay. So this is all happening. I mean, 300 people are on their faces weeping and wailing because they realize, oh my goodness, I am in utter sin and I need a savior. By the way, let me stop and just say this. You can't have a real revelation of a savior, of the savior, if you don't have the real revelation of your sin. Mm -hmm. Wow. Alex, oh my gosh, way too many preachers today hop, skip, and jump over the concept of sin. Right. Nobody wants to talk about sin. Nobody, everyone's uncomfortable to talk about it. But listen, we as preachers and communicators, if you're listening yeah. to this and you're yeah. a leader at any level in a church, we cannot avoid talking about the real sin that exists in every human heart. Because when people have a, and I'm not talking about like, you know, we get real religious and rigid and right. all this crazy stuff. No, 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 no. Hear my heart. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we can't avoid it when we have to speak on it. Right. Um, because when people have a revelation of their sin, inherently, we as gospel communicators give them the revelation of a Savior, Jesus right. Christ, who died for their sin. And so what happened was, uh, this was several hours of, of that, this, this group of people, this congregation weeping and wailing. They eventually, uh, you know, wrap it up. I don't know how you conclude that, but they eventually wrap it up. And then he's a, Duncan Campbell's about to leave the, the front, out of the front door of the church. And when he, leave, when he opens the front door, he discovers 200 teenagers. Now, this revival was marked by praying for the next generation. And, and so this, this church was praying, crying out for the next generation to be saved. 200 teenagers that were at a dance across the street ran over to the church building because they were all felt the weight and conviction of their sin that they wanted answers. So all of them simultaneously, drawn by the Holy Spirit, ran to the church doors right as Duncan Campbell opened the door. He found 200 wide-eyed teenagers wanting to hear about Jesus. All of them were saved. Wow. This was a massive revival that swept in, and it was marked first by conviction of sin. Wow. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. We should probably move on to the point, too, was I feel like, but I love this. I love this. I, want, I don't want to leave without this. this. You talked about how there's a, there's a pattern of, of churches that are ignoring sin. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, you know, what I talked about just a minute ago was secularism. That's what happens when right. you sow secularism into the sacred, and it's almost this Oprah-ized spiritualism. 
if you know what I mean, where yeah, yeah, yeah. people feel like they are pursuing Christianity, but it's really a Christian veneer. You know, there is a veneer of pursuing the things of Jesus, and they pull out the things that sound good, the love your neighbor, and they pull out the things that are attractive to them, but they leave out the things that are convicting to the spirit. They leave out the things about gender roles and about, you know, sexuality, leave out the things that are truly convicting to the to the, the secularized uh, society. But that's the danger. That's the danger, and that's where we're shifting. But here's the thing, Caleb, we're seeing a revival in those areas as well. Because, and that brings us to our, our, that's right. our fourth point, which we want to hold on to, yeah. the, about opposition. Right. But, you know, whenever there is a revival, there is an opposition. And yeah. sometimes that opposition is the antithesis of it, meaning that there is a counter-revival happening at the same time. We'll, we'll talk about that in more detail right, at the end. Right, yeah. Um, the second pattern is revival is marked by the tangible presence of God. Mm. Every time, the tangible presence of God. Um, this is like a hyper-awareness that God is in the midst of people. I mean, this isn't like, you know, omnipresence is like the theology yeah. behind, you know, we believe that God is everywhere at all times. That's true. He's omnipresent. But revival is marked by the manifest presence of God. Like everyone recognizes God is in our midst. Wow. And that's what marks revival. And so obviously that leads to a hungering and a thirsting for his presence, for the pursuit of Jesus and wanting him and knowing him and desiring him and longing for him as he comes. And uh, so, yeah, the, the presence of God is, is a marker of revival can every I, single time. Can I build upon that a little bit? So speaking about revivals in history, you know, in 1906, this was just two years after the, uh, the Welsh revival, a movement started breaking through Los Angeles called the Azusa Street Revival. And how this started was there was a gentleman by the name of William Seymour who was from Mississippi, or sorry, from Missouri initially. No, Mississippi. He was from Mississippi originally. And he was brought to LA for a one for one month to, as a, essentially a guest preacher at a church. And his message, his focus was on revival. He was a revivalist and he preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the events that happened transpired through scripture. He was preaching mostly out of Acts chapter two. And he was actually kicked out of the church that he was uh, invited to speak at for a month. But he had a small following that said, you know what? We want to hear this message. They started meeting at a home group. And when they started at this home group, their first thing that they did was they said, we're going to fast and pray for 10 days straight. That was they, what they committed to. We're going to fast and pray for 10 days straight. Not we're going to fast and pray for a couple hours. We're going to go home, Kara. No, they're going to stay at this home together. There were six of them, and they're going to fast and pray for 10 days straight. On day three, this was April 9th, 1906, the Holy Spirit rushed in. One of the women there, I don't have her name in my memory because I'm not reading anything. I'm recording this off, off, of, my, off of my head. She had never played the piano before gets up, starts playing the piano with perfection as though she was a, a skilled pianist. Dang. They start speaking in tongues. They're all baptized wow. by the Holy Spirit. And then 
we see of movement, people start hearing about this and coming in the hundreds. Yeah. This yeah. was at a street in a street called uh, in 216 North Bonnie Bray Street, which is still there today yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah. And at one point, there were 800 people at this home. Wow. And the porch collapsed. <laughs> porch collapsed. But I'll talk about this a little bit as we as we continue. Yo, you on. know, it's revival when porches are collapsing. But you know, they started with the fun- fundamentals: the presence of God. Yeah, they were right. seeking God's face by prayer and fasting yeah. and worship, yeah. and that's where that's where this started. That was right. it. Six that's people, it. six that's people. That reminds me of um, the Welsh revival as well in 1904. Evan Roberts, who kind of was a key leader for the Welsh revival said, hey, let's just get people together to pray with no other, like, agenda. Let's just, right. you know, we're not going to, like, not even a church service. Let's just get people together to pray. So they had um, a group of teenagers, and this was, like, the key moment that that began the revival that ran all throughout Wales. So um, he has a group of teenagers together in a home, and they're praying. They're pursuing the presence of God. They're yeah. asking God to come. They're asking, would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Would you, would you send revival? And so this, this uh, teenage girl named Flory Evans stands to her feet, and she says these words, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. And for whatever reason, God used that declaration. And uh, everybody that was there describes it like, like bolts of lightning surged inside their bodies. Every single one of them felt the tangible, manifest presence of God in that room. It was so powerful what they experienced, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all these other things that they were experiencing from God in that prayer meeting, that after that day, 100,000 people were saved in six months all over Wales. It started Dude, with a prayer meeting. Crazy. It started with a prayer meeting with no other agenda other than, hey, let's seek God. Let's meet with God. And it brought about the largest revival in Wales. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people saved. Missionaries sent all over the earth. Listen, Alex, we are going to have to do a bonus episode because uh, we are already 29 minutes in. So here's what I'm going to say. We've got two more things to talk about. Number three is um, accelerated evangelism, and number four is opposition. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave you hanging. We're going to do a bonus episode. We're going to release it this Tuesday, and we're going to record. We're going to talk about these two uh, other patterns of revival, and we're going to release two on Tuesday. So we hope you are well. Again, thank you so much for taking some time and listening to The Gathering Podcast. We are so excited for what is to come. Stay tuned for giveaways. Uh, as we celebrate a thousand downloads coming up pretty soon. And uh, we will see you soon. See you this Tuesday.